I felt like I had something and then I got sidetracked by a notification on my screen. I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, yep, no, I got nothing. Resin bag's back though. That's good news. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast. I don't even know what we're at these days. It's episode something in season two. Episode two, three, Mandy, what are we at? I think it might be three in two, but who's keeping track? Yeah, well, uh, me when I put it up on the internet, <laughs> but yeah, I tend to agree with you. I believe it is season two, episode three, but it's something uh, like that. And here we are. Mandy is told me she's tucked up cozy in a bed and I'm sitting at my usual hard wooden seat at my desk. Uh, so that's where we're all at. Uh, Mandy, how are you, aside from cozy? I'm cold tonight. It's freezing. Yeah, it's pretty cold out there. Uh, new place that we live in turns out to be quite drafty. In the next uh, kind of week or so, I'm going to have to go around with some, uh, some spray foam and some insulation and some weather stripping and seal this digs up because it is... I feel like I'm living in like... 17th century castle or something tis the season drafts everywhere and i think we might get some snow on the ground tonight that sticks so it's almost winter's almost here gosh i love snow makes me so happy you know what else makes me happy <laughs> beer <laughs> that's a segue right there kids uh what do you do you have a drink in front of you i do yeah what are you I'm drinking a grandstand hoppy wheat Okay, you were drinking that last episode. So. I know, I gotta get more original. It's the only thing I had in the fridge tonight. I forgot to grab something as I walked out the door of the brewery. Well, tonight. we'll give Sorry. it to you this time, but... Lame. I, I gotta tell you, next time there might be trouble. I myself Sounds am good. drinking something that I am pleased to say... I, I might put this out there and then some real geeky geek will point out that they still have a bottle or two. I'm gonna guess, though, that I'm drinking one of the last bottles in existence... Of this next beer. This beer, not next. It's the only one I've had so far. This is from the Amsterdam Brewing Company. And I don't even know how you pronounce it. It's the Guedenavond. It's a Belgian golden ale aged in Pinot Noir barrels. Clocking in at 9% alcohol by volume. It was one of the big, uh, big 650 Adventure Series bottles they did, I think, two and a half years ago. And uh, when I texted Ian to tell him I was drinking it, he was like, whoa, that's old. I hope it held up okay. I can confirm, Ian, if you are listening, it held up better than okay. It is divine. That sounds lovely. It also sounds like something that'll warm you up on a cold night. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Venice notes, a lot of oak to it. Really, really quite something nice. Um, I'm, I'm digging it. This isn't actually in the show notes. But uh, have you had anything recently from anyone you want to, you know, shout out to? Anything really tasty? Well, I just got back from vacation and I've been drinking a lot of Tecate Light with lime in it. So not not really. <laughs> not really, unfortunately. Just the Mexican beer. That's about it. Mandy's reminding me in a passive aggressive way that I didn't include in the business arising how their trip to Mexico went because I am a jerk, apparently. So uh, actually, before we cut to that, I will throw... Uh, one out there and it is I actually I haven't had it in a while but I had it um, in the last batch that came out I did a, a review it's still actually literally in the hopper on my blog I haven't done sort of the 
kind of the surrounding notes on it, but uh, is Kapow IPA from Reinhardt. Have you had this? I have actually. You, I had almost forgotten. Yesterday we did a little uh, West End brewery crawl, and we actually got out to Reinhardt for the first time, and I loved the Kapow. It's delicious. It is just fantastic. What a great. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really nice. Yeah. So I got to get that review up, Jordan. Don't know if you listen to this or not, but if you do, it's coming, buddy. I swear. Honest. Scout's honor. I was never a scout. I also need. I also need to take the opportunity to mention the uh, how because you asked if I had anything recently. All I could think of was Tecate Light. But on the little brewery crawl, we visited the Folly Brew Pub. Have you been yet? No, but of course I've been seeing it. And if you follow a lot of my homebrewing exploits, you know that that is my style of beer. Uh, if you're following along at home, uh, Folly does uh, farmhouse slash saison styles of beer, which is my passion. So I want to get out there. Yeah, you, you must go. You, you need to get there. They're doing some really, really great stuff. Um, formerly, it was the uh, the Habits Nano Brewery, but they really expanded the brewing operation and relaunched as, uh, sorry, it was the Habits Gastro Pub. Mm-hmm. And they've relaunched as the Folly Brew Pub. Um, they've expanded the brewing operation there. Everything is very small scale. Uh, it's all farmhouse sale, all Belgian style stuff. Um, so delicious. I especially love the Bruin. It was it was probably the best thing I've had in a long time. So I'm going to change my answer and go with that. <laughs> uh, did you hit up Lansdowne while you were out that way? Same neighborhood? No, we didn't get out there. We uh, we actually meant to get to a few other places, but we loved Folly so much that we just stuck around there for a little bit more to eat and a couple more drinks. So it's a really good spot and it's... Uh, because we missed out on the other spots, we're just going to have to make another trip back out west. Well, unless it was like a date night, hey, call up your old third wheel buddy, Chris, and uh, I might tag <laughs> along. <laughs> sure thing. On the, in that specific case, it was a bit of a date, but uh, you're welcome to join us next time. Okay. Uh, Mexico. Uh, do you want me to sing like some James Taylor? Whoa, down in Mexico. Never nah, there's honest. Been... No? No. No. You really don't need to do that. There wasn't, it was an awesome trip, but there's not really much to talk about because we did next to nothing. So you eat a lot of tacos. Um, yeah. But uh, as like, as with most really great lazy vacations, we just ate and drank and slept and did, did a lot of nothing. So there's not much to say other than we came back feeling refreshed um, and had some okay tans and that was about it. I actually myself just booked uh Booked some flights with Air Canada uh, two nights ago. We're going down to Naples, Florida in February. Uh, unlike you, drinking, how do you say it? Tecate? Is that the Mexican mm-hmm. beer? Tecate? That's right. Yeah. I, on the other hand, will probably be drinking Cigar City. Um, and gosh knows what else. I, uh, You know what I might be drinking? Again, segueing here. Segueing. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to get some ballast point into me because, gosh, if I don't love that sculpin. Woo, that is one heck of an IPA, too. Uh, Kapow, great. Sculpin IPA, also great. And this brings us to a little bit of... I put it under Business Arising. It's also kind of new stuff. It's But the thing is, it's not new stuff at all. Uh, everyone who's a real geek probably knows this already, but Ballast Point, the makers of Sculpin IPA, and more importantly, the makers of Grapefruit Sculpin IPA, if you ask me, were recently purchased by Constellation Brands. So by the Brewers Association definition... Ballast Point is no longer a craft brewer. Sculpin IPA is no longer craft beer. I don't actually want to get onto this because I think we could eat up a lot of time. But more than maybe even Sophie from Goose Island and Bourbon Bourbon County Stout, this one really gets me and makes me think the BAs really got to work on their definition somehow because this is it's Ballast Point Sculpin. 
That's craft beer. It's as crafty as you get. It's tough, right? I think we've sort of beat this topic to death, I but I don't think the the lines have ever been uh, as blurred as they are right now. And so you're, you're right. There's a lot of work that needs to be done around defining what is craft beer and being a former Constellation Brands employee. I have a lot of uh, pretty specific thoughts ar- around this. Mm. I, I saw the way that they operated um, being on the inside. I started my, my career in beverage alcohol with Constellation. At the time, they were Vincor Canada. Um but they're a they're a global beverage alcohol company that really does operate with an entrepreneurial spirit and has a huge focus on innovation. And I know it sounds like I'm regurgitating like corporate mission statements, but that's really the way they they roll. Uh, and I saw it and, and lived it every day for years. So uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Can you, uh, so. Uh, Sorry, I was actually just typing something because it, it leads into what I'm about to say. But so can you give any more insight into sort of like you were saying, like how they presented it or whatever, like their, their, yeah. When they, well, yeah, when Constellation acquires a brand, and I, I lived through this in the with the example of Svedka Vodka, um, Svedka Vodka uh, started in New York, really. Um, they, they really had a very specific corporate culture. They were. Like, in many ways, they operated like a tech startup. And uh, Constellation did everything they could to sort of preserve that um, that culture and identity of Svedka, not just as a, a brand in the market, but as an organization internally. And the, everything from like leaving the, the corporate offices right there in New York and um, just sort of letting them approach business the way they, they had always done, rather than integrating them into the, the big corporate Constellation way. Um, that they really wanted them to operate with that entrepreneurial spirit and, and sense of innovation because uh, they, they recognized and they knew that that's what had made them so successful to begin with. Um, and that's where a lot of their successes came from. And so, I don't know, I, I, I don't necessarily see this acquisition as a negative thing. If anything, Constellation acts more like an agent globally. And so if you're Ballast Point and you're looking to um, start, ex- like continue expanding and growing your um growing your access to new markets being acquired by constellation is probably just one of the the best things that could happen to you um because constellation operates globally and really gives you access to any market in the world that you'd be interested in entering um and then you you would basically have an agent representative in that market who understands the inner workings of that market so i don't know it's just the way it is yeah i tend to think that this is a really good thing for Ballast Point too. Um, I obviously don't have the insight into Constellation that you have, but uh, my my feeling on it was that it was actually, it's it's good. It's good. Sometimes when you hit a certain size, um, you know, this gives you access to a market in a way that you might not have had before. So I think it's great. I'm going to keep drinking Sculpin because like I said, that is... That is one heck of a beer. Uh, let's move on anyway, because like you say, we've kind of knocked this one around a lot. Uh, and we're going to move into the section of our show notes that's called new stuff. And here's what's crazy. Aside from this Ballast Point news, I can't really think of anything, you know, earth shattering that's happened in the craft beer scene since the last time we recorded. Did you think of anything, by the way, Andy? Not really. No, there's Sorry, not really. Just having a drink there. There's yeah, no, no. That's what this is all about. Please, yeah. pa- pause and drink. That's the point. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not really anything 
too earth-shattering or new or crazy that, that's happened in the world of craft beer. It's like there's a lot of new little places popping up and new mm-hmm. sort of breweries and planning coming on the scene. And you see a lot of that happening, but otherwise, not much. Yeah. So what I wanted to actually talk about tonight was something eh, we frequently end up kind of talking about it in, in different ways, kind of relating to uh, topics. And uh, one of the reasons why, when I thought, oh, it'd be kind of cool to do a podcast, who would I do it with? And immediately my my first two things that I said, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, is I said, I want somebody who is uh, involved at a brewery. Uh, whether it's brewing or in management or ownership or whatever. And I want that person to be female. And so Mandy was right at the top of the list. And thankfully, Because you she... had so many other options. Hey, I could have, <laughs> yeah, I could have reached out to Morgan, who brews at Amsterdam. We're buddies and have pretty good uh, rapport. She's she's a fantastic brewer. Uh, and, and I mean, there are a number of people, Mary Beth, uh, Bridget. They, there, there are a lot of a lot of chicks I could have reached out to, but you were top of the list, Mandy. Don't uh-huh. you don't you try and take away from that. But uh, but so the key was half of that was being actively involved in a brewery. And so actually what I want to do is just ask you some stuff about being involved at that level uh, at a at a really top quality uh, local craft brewery. So with your permission, you could you could consent there in in medical treatment. That would be called informed consent. You're going to sorry. It didn't sound like you were finished. uh, (laughs) Finished your sentence. I thought you were going to say, it's with true. your permission, was just... I was go- I'm was i going to ask you some questions, but no, he didn't finish there. So, yeah, please uh, go ahead. I know, it was so awkward. Anyway, we'll do this. Uh, so the first thing I have, and this is just the, sometimes when you, you're interviewing a person, you know, you kind of, you warm up the, the crowd a little, you warm up the person. But I wanted to ask you, and it's actually, it's good that you're drinking Grandstand, about recipe design. So, I can remember, I can't remember how long ago it was, you may well remember, but uh, one of the Iron Brewer contests, and Mark was in it. He was still, uh, I believe, still with Molson at that point. He just started, maybe. And he was pouring a very unusual style then, which was an oatmeal brown ale. Not an oatmeal stout, not an oatmeal porter. It was an oatmeal brown ale. And that was obviously really early days EFIS. Is that that's accurate? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I think at the time we were even calling it EFIS, if I, if I recall. Um, it had that name right from the get go um, on when it was done on the homebrew system for the first few iterations. So I think I think it was called EFIS at the, the Iron Brewer competition. So uh, obviously left field, you've got what sort of four regularly available brands. Is that right? Uh, no, it's actually just two. So it's just Ephus, Oatmeal Brown Ale, and Maris Pale Ale. And I would say that everything else is pretty seasonal. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. But when you're doing these new recipes, and this is my point, I mean, one of the first things, and, and I'm I'm a home brewer. Uh, as discussed, I'm a terrible home brewer. I was actually going to mention that in the business arising, but somehow it didn't get saved into the file from my Mac, but that's okay. Um but I think one of the things that a lot of people overlook or maybe take for granted is the actual development of a recipe. And so can you talk a bit about that? So, I mean, Ephus, when was that? That Iron Brewer would have been like three or four years ago, right? Goodness, yeah. At, at least that long. I'm going to say 
yeah, I'm going to say about four years ago, probably. Yeah. And so, and, and like you say, it was kind of already named at that point. That wasn't the first time he was foraying into, uh, into an oatmeal brown ale. So take grandstand, which is obviously what you're drinking, kind of the, the most recent seasonally you've, you've dropped. Like when did development of grandstand start? Uh, it would have started early spring for us. Uh, typically the way we go about recipe development is we sit down and think, gee, what would we really like to drink? Um, can I get a hold of that in the market into someone making a world-class example of it? Uh, and is it easily accessible? Can I get my hands on it whenever I want? And if the answer is no, then we typically try to do it ourselves. Um, I think probably the only example of uh, some of our recipes were that that may not be true is Maris. Like every brewery sort of has a pale ale um, or most breweries have their own version of a pale ale. And so Maris is unique in its own ways. And uh, and so that doesn't necessarily always stand out from a crowd. But most of our other, uh, our other beer styles are more or less examples of beer that, that not another brewery is either not making or that other breweries are making and just don't have widely available. Um, so that's usually where the inspiration comes from. Um, of course, there's a need to have a balanced lineup, et cetera, et cetera, be something that you can sell. And there's all this other stuff that goes into it. But when it actually comes to developing a recipe, we taste a lot of other beer. And we've doing, been doing that a lot lately because we're working on a few new recipes for things that we'll be bringing in the new year. Um, but we, we really do taste a lot of beer. And in, in cases where we're going to have beer plus some certain specific flavor, We'll often actually add that, that stuff to existing beer in the market and play around with dosing and really try to taste and design what it is that we want to create. Um, if we can blend other beers and ingredients together um, to, to see what it's going to taste like before we set out and start starting to pilot it. I don't know if that answers your question or if you, you wanted me to talk about yeah. it in a different way. but Well, no, I'm going to I'm going to keep moving on this. So. Sure. So grandstand again, sticking with with grandstand, um, you you know I guess conceptually kind of I'm sure you had a, a couple of different styles and that was the one you thought yeah that's that's the one we're going to move on. So next step, like you say, you're going to taste some stuff. So you're going to get like I guess like underdogs and maybe um, what's the Trudy Diablo, the Schwinnigan handshake, a yep. couple of those styles. Drink yep. those and then is it a matter of sort of Mark and Austin and Rob, that's it for brewing staff, right? It's the three of them. That's right. Am I missing? Yeah. No, that, that's kind good. of starting to spitball like, okay, well with a Hopfen vice, you do X, you do Y, um, you know, let's do a step mat. Like they start talking logistics and then they tackle it on the pilot. Typically. Yeah. We, uh, we piloted grandstand, I think twice before, before scaling it up to a full scale batch, but we do taste those are the beers that you listed are some of them that we included in our lineup. We also ran down to the U.S. and some of us had had trips scheduled around then, so we pulled some examples up from the U.S. And what we tend to do is identify in existing beers what qualities exist that are not desirable for our own beer, and it's not because they're not good; it's just not the way we want our beer to taste. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we'll identify what those are, and as they build the recipe, they will make choices to sort of make it not that. And then we'll also identify qualities that we would like the beer to have, and they will make choices in the recipe development um, to do to, to to make it sort of that way. And then typically, yeah, we'll pilot it on the the pilot system, and the pilot system is just our homebrew system moved over into the brewery, and so that's now our pilot system. I know it well. 
Yeah, uh, it's a bit small for what we're doing. And what we've learned very quickly is that um, it takes a great deal of time to brew these pilot batches. And if they, they turn out well, but maybe not exactly the way we wanted them, we'll, we'll still serve them in the tap room to gather feedback from, from our customers, right? That's probably our, um, our most valuable critic is, is our customers getting the opportunity to sort of taste these batches and let us know what they think. Um, so it, we'll spend about 10, 12 hours worth of labor making a, a pilot batch and because those are unique and not widely available, what we're finding is that in the tap room, they can we can sell the entire batch in like three or four hours. And so that's a lot of work uh, to refine recipes and get them up in the tap room. But we do find that it's, it's really worth it. What we're looking at as a next step is trying to find a better pilot system, something a little larger scale um, that'll make all that, that time and effort a little bit more worthwhile and allow us to have these batches on in the tap room for a little bit longer. Um, just so that we can gather more feedback and more people can get their hands on it. Cool. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. I know uh, at least Mark and possibly you were part of the uh, GTA Brews Facebook group. L- literally a few hours ago, somebody posted, uh, William Street is selling their four-barrel system. So if you got $25,000 kicking around, you don't know what to do with. Um, yeah, you could buy William Street uh, four-barrel brew house. Or, oh. on the other hand, dear listener, if you are a home brewer, <laughs> who really drinks a lot of beer, you want a four-barrel system, and you got 25 grand burning a hole in your pocket, uh, look it up. I could, I'll could i put the link in the show notes. You can you can buy the William Street uh, brewing system, which, by the way, good news for William Street. They need to scale up their, uh, their capacity already, which I believe they've only been in operation, I think, less than two years, maybe about two years. So good for them. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear, and that would be the perfect size for us, but I'm not sure that we're in a position to do it right now. So, and that, I don't even know if you see where I'm going on the show notes, but is running right into the next question. So that is one facet of it. Last episode, dear listener, you might remember, we announced we are now fully bullfrog powered, which I still kind of laugh about. I'm not getting paid. I paid to say that. Anyway, uh, and you were saying, you know, you're, you guys use bullfrog for your uh, your home, which is great. And one day you would love to be able to say the whole brewery is also powered by renewables. But what about what? Like, I, I'm not going to say why isn't it because I understand why, but I want to talk about that. I want you to explore that a little bit about how in the context, especially as a very young business, that you guys prioritize things and make decisions. Because I know, for instance, um, one of the things we always say and we were saying in the whole for for about noise and stuff that left fields created. I don't even know what you're up to you now, like 14 or 15 or something like that. Good paying stable jobs and you know you have to make decisions in the best interests of your staff and you talk about doing pilot batches and the time invested to make sure that the products there in the concept or in the context of setting priorities what are some of the things how how are some of the ways that you guys make decisions on on exactly those types of calls well, it's difficult, but it, it often does come down to being a, a financial decision. We at Left Field, every decision that we make, the beer comes first, whether it's the packaging format or the next piece of equipment that we're going to going to invest in or how we're spending our training dollars. It's really about quality of beer before anything else. Um, but that doesn't mean we have all the bells and whistles and everything we would love to have and, and, and all the, the equipment that is necessary to... Um, evaluate the beer and ensure that it's of the highest quality. There's tons, tons of 
super high end expensive lab equipment out there that we would love to have. But um, if we if we did have that, we would have three less fermenters and we would be the Ephus brewery. And so everything is a jug- juggling act. Everything's a, a balancing act. Um, and priority setting is, quite frankly, it's really, really difficult. So the second way we do it is the second way we make decisions after the after it's all about the beers financially. Um, there's only so much money in the bank and cash flow um, is pretty important when you have a payroll of 14 people that needs to get met every two weeks. Um, there's always rent to pay and um, if you want to keep making beer, you need to be able to afford to pay your ingredient suppliers and um, buy enough vessels to package the beer in, whether it's kegs or bottles or cans. Uh, and often those things, payment is required on delivery. And so if you don't have cash in the bank to pay for them, um, you're not going to get very far as a brewery and you're not going to be able to sell the beer that's sitting in your tanks. So it's it's constantly a, a balancing act and a juggling act. And um, I just wrote a piece actually for my university alumni association uh, magazine and uh I thought it occurred to me and I included it in the piece talking about how we always wanted to work for ourselves uh, and it doesn't take long as a, an entrepreneur or business owner to learn that you're not actually working for yourselves for yourself anymore unless you're sort of an owner operator in a, a single person business but you're working for your employees and you're working for your beer and you're working for your brand um, and as much as it, it sounds romantic to sort of be your own boss and work for yourself it's really not it's not the case and it becomes sort of not the case very quickly that's that's perfect that, I like that uh that you don't work for yourself unless you're the only worker. I like that. Um, let's talk business. I said some business to date things and you guys have grown. I don't know if you quite say explosively, but you've grown quite quickly to say the least. Um, you've become quite the fixture in the neighborhood. You've got more than quite the following from, you know, the, before you really even broke ground and the renovation, you had quite the response, uh, in the community, which is great. But, uh, so some things to date, I know you probably don't have hard numbers in front of you. Uh, but do you have any concept in terms of like, say how many batches you've made at the new brewery? We were just counting it out actually. And it looks like the first brew that we do when we come back in the new year will be our hundredth brew. Which is really cool. Uh, that may get juggled around a little bit. Our production schedule is pretty much nailed, like right through to the end of January right now. So it, it should be the case, but um, <laughs> it, it'll be 100 batches in, in January. And so our first batch was brewed on February 5th of this year. So in under it'll be in under a year, we will have brewed 100 batches of beer. Um, so that's wow. kind of fun. Yeah, it, it's pretty much uh, in line with expectations, like going into it. So that's reassuring. Um, there are a lot of things that are not in line with expectations and that are not in line with the plan, but um, volume wise, it's pretty close. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, Why are you laughing? Know, Why are you well, laughing? Because I was going to say, I don't, know if, I don't know if you want to touch on I some don't. of the things that no, I don't. Right. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> uh, I, so, like, I wanted to talk about maybe not, I don't want to say failures because that's a tough word, but. In that sort of first year of operations, like lessons learned or regrets, like, and again, you know, there's some like alarm bells ringing on, like, don't talk about this, don't talk about this. <laughs> but, but like, at one year, you said it was February 1st was the first batch you, you, you brewed at the new space? Feb- or 5th. February 5th? Yeah. yeah. If on February the 6th, you sat down with, you know, a person like uh, like Jordan from Reinhardt or like Jeff from Muddy York 
And uh, they were saying, like, you know, I've been brewing. I got some solid beers under my belt. I've got uh, I got some capital and and some credit at the bank. Um, you know, what would like sort of based on your experience, what would be your your flag that you would wave and say, have you thought of this or have you covered that? It's funny. I just had some of these conversations with Jordan yesterday when we visited his brewery um, talking about decisions around canning and the LCBO and packaging formats and bottling lines. And there's, there are just so many details. It's, it's tricky to say, um, it's tricky to, to say what the single piece of advice would be. Cause I, I feel like we're still learning so much that I'm not really in a position to offer advice unless it's around a very specific question. Um, we certainly don't, don't know it all. And we're learning a lot of it as we go, but uh, it's funny to look back and see some of the areas where we were just so wrong. We were we were <laughs> so far off. Uh, like what? The LCBO is a great example. So uh, in the original plan, we had EFIS launching pretty well immediately when we started brewing uh, at Wagstaff. Uh, we had EFIS launching in a can in 100 LCBOs. That's lofty. It's hilarious. How did we yeah. think that was possible? Doing del- I, direct delivery too, but, right? No, we were we were going to go through the warehouse. Oh, okay. Well, that's a little bit more manageable, but still, you got to sell it into one hundred LCBOs. It's like I must have made a really crazy rounding error on the the volume <laughs> and where it was going. Um, but it's funny we uh, we had a heart to heart call with the LCBO the Monday after our first pop up shop at the brewery. Uh, <laughs> we had no idea so many people would come to our brewery and buy beer directly from the brewery we were completely like taken aback and so overwhelmed and um we just sort of laughed at ourselves at how naive we we could have been to to think that um or or to think that the volume would have played out the way that it did but we called the lcbo and i said the best i could do at this point like based on projections is about five stores used to one (laughs) EFIS. and they said you know what and they'd been giving us the same message for for about two years because we had been in talks with them about the launch of EFIS for a long time um, and they said, we're ready when you are. So you let us know when you're ready to press go and when you can support some listings. If you need to start with five, that's great. A lot of breweries start that way and then sort of grow organically. Um, you can switch to direct delivery if you like. And any of the, all the upfront work we had done to like get everything going through their warehouse. And there are like very specific packaging requirements that you need to have on your cases and um, very specific packaging stuff you have to do to to make your packaging compliant to go through their warehouse system. So we had done all of that legwork. Um, and I'm like, you know what? We're just going to do direct delivery. And uh, for those who, don't, who aren't aware of sort of how it works, you can send all of your beer palletized to the LCBO warehouse out in, in Durham uh, and they'll sort it all and send it to all of the stores for you. Or you can work one-on-one with each LCBO location take their orders every week and send your your own trucks out to their stores to deliver. Um, and larger breweries tend to tend to do the warehouse system, but that's not always the case. Um, and yeah, it was just, a, it was really funny. So that we were grateful that they, they allowed us to sort of change course so quickly um, and grow our own way. And we've grown now to 13 LCBOs, but um, I don't know when we're ever going to hit 100 or if that's even going to happen. Like, it just seems like so many stores. Mind you, if you look at the opportunity, there there are like 600 LCBO stores in the network. So there's just so much potential out there. But for us, obviously, and I don't need to explain why, but it, it just makes so much more sense to sell the beer out of the 
like directly out of the doors of the brewery if we're able to, right? Absolutely. Uh, dear listener, if you want to make Mandy's life harder and also more wonderful, if you go into an LCBO and don't see Ephus on the shelf, go ahead and ask for it. So why aren't you guys getting this in? It's baseball beer. It's amazing. And if you're listening to this and you uh, you don't live in the city of Toronto, um, even if you <laughs> Maybe live, don't do that. <laughs> maybe don't do that because... Uh, I have a list about 30 LCBOs long um, of stores outside the city that we just cannot deliver to. We don't have that capability right now. Um, and so as soon as we're ready to, to hit those stores, they're sort of ready to take us on as a listing. Um, but it's just not a, not the reality for us right now. It's amazing. Yeah. Good, good. That's a good problem to have, really. And that, Chris, is going to be the name of our next beer. We're not sure what the style will be. Recipe still in development. But good it's, problems to have. it's a good problem to have. We'll be in the name of our next beer. So... Um, I need to run out and trademark that now that I've had a... <laughs> yeah, well, you've got until tomorrow when I put this live. You know what it should be? It should be some sort of like a Brett or an infected beer. Because then it's like, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, we've joked right? about that a little bit at the brewery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was unique. Um, hey, you know what today is? Well, today and then tomorrow when this goes out, what today is though? What is it? It wasn't a complicated question. November the 23rd, it'll be show me live on the 24th, I hope. Uh, You know what that means, though? I don't. To me, you don't. Uh, I'm just typing in here because I never get the exact date right. American Thanksgiving. I'm not an American myself. It's Thursday, November the 26th. That is now, well, three days away or two, if you're listening to this. This Thursday is American Thanksgiving. Of course, that means Friday is the day when people go crazy and hurt each other for not very good deals on um, consumer products. But much more importantly, in my household and by my standard, Thursday, November the 26th, the end of Thursday, November the 26th, sort of sundown on that day is when I flip the switch on uh, the holiday, the holiday mode. We move into Christmas mode around the Schreier household. Uh, we intentionally don't get our, our teeth into it until after American Thanksgiving. We don't celebrate American Thanksgiving, but to me, that's a good marker. And so by the time the next podcast rolls around, we'll be thick in it. If you are a, a Christian practitioner, you will know that this weekend marks the first Sunday in Advent, uh, the start of the preparation for Christmas and whether you celebrate Christmas or whatever, uh, of course, this is a fun time for most people. You know, you get lights, you get Santa, the kids are all happy, everyone's good. Um, and so, what I wanted to explore just briefly, because we're if we're going to keep to our well, if we're going to keep to the goal I set, we're already past it. But but I digress. If we're going to keep to a reasonable time on this episode, uh, we need to we need to move things along. But uh, I said holiday events, beers to watch out for in traditions. Let's cut events. Anyone can find out anything about events. Look at Canadian Beer News or whatever. There's tons of events happening all the time. But uh, let's start out with, Mandy, do you have a, uh, a Christmas beer uh, comes out every year that you uh, you like, you're looking forward to? You know what? I, I don't. I usually just run around and pick up a bunch of different stuff from, from different breweries. I don't necessarily have a go-to. Um there are a lot of good ones out there. Do you have a go-to Christmas beer from other breweries? Um, well, I mean, to some extent, uh, the Great Lakes Winter Ale is one I, I reach for. Um, 
to be fair, stylistically, the way that a lot of people do Christmas beers or winter beers or whatever, with a lot of the spices and sort of darker malts, are not necessarily the beers that I would um, go for a lot of. But when I'm feeling, you know, particularly uh, seasonal, I might I might grab one of those and enjoy it. In fact, I actually have a bottle of Great Lakes Winter Ale in my fridge from last winter, which I don't know if it's meant to be aged for a year, but I did. And so I'm going to crack that sometime and see how it goes. But uh, I'm actually hopefully in the next couple of days. I'm not sure when because um, it needs to be ready for Christmas. But I'm going to brew my uh, my Christmas beer. Last year I did a, a Belgian Strong Dark with my very favorite in the world, Saison Yeast uh, 3711, the French Saison Yeast. It's a monster. And uh, I actually have about five gallons of it uh, in a in a carboy that I'm going to bottle off. And it was, it was mean. No spices added. It was all just from the yeast. But it was a cool beer to have. If I was to brew a Christmas sale, that's probably what I would choose as well stylistically. I think I, I like that. I prefer that to the uh, the spice beers. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can get neat spices out of a beer just through brewing. You don't need to chuck a, you know, a, 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 a sock of allspice and nutmeg and whatever else in there. But that's just my opinion. I think, um, I think those can be great, too. But uh, I just love the. I think the style you mentioned, the, the Belgian dark strong ale, could be it, it's, it tends to be underrepresented, so I like it. Well, I don't want to give away too much, but the style I'm brewing, again, I just made this IPA. It didn't go as well as I wanted it to. I had to repitch, kind of had a stalled fermentation, whatever. But we don't need to talk about that right now. But uh, part of the thing that I attribute the problem to is that I didn't use my beloved 3711 French Saison yeast in it. So my Christmas beer will use that again. And... Uh, Without giving away too much, but if you're creative, you can probably figure out what's going on. It's going to be called Otenenbaum Saison, which uh, I think will be interesting. Fun. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. It's going to be delicious. Um, what about traditions? Do you, Mark, have any good uh, holiday traditions? Aside from, like, not like, well, we visit my mom on this day and his family. Like, not, not like that, but, like, you know, you got any traditions you want to share, beer-related or otherwise? Um, yeah, we, it's mostly family, family stuff that's sort of near and dear to our hearts. Um, we do, we do have Christmas sort of just, just the two of us on Christmas morning here at home. And, uh, that's really fun, but it, Christmas for us is all about family. I don't really have any specific beer traditions. There's a lot of, a lot more exploring and tasting and we get into spirits a little bit more around Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the eggnog. Yeah. You know what? I don't, I usually, like, I don't really drink spirits throughout the rest of the year, but I find myself heading to the LCBO and seeking out like different, interesting, um, all kinds of spirits like around the holidays. And so that's sort of a fun thing that we like to do. I, I turn into a, a bit of a, a crazy baking person, uh, at Christmas and I start my baking, uh, usually late November, if not the first weekend of December. And I bake every weekend until Christmas. Um, so I end up with tons and tons and tons of cookies. I freeze everything. And then I make these multi multi cookie trays and take them everywhere I go and give them out as gifts. And so I really enjoy that. Many of the recipes are recipes that come from uh, family traditions that my, my great great grandmothers would have made. So um, my mom's so grateful that I, I've taken it on because she used to do it. And, and it got to the point where she sort of felt obligated to do it. And now I've taken mm -hmm. it on because I really enjoy it. Uh, and she, she's just happy that she doesn't have to do it anymore because someone else is doing it. So, um, yeah, it's, nice. it's for us, it's really about food and family and, and drinks and just togetherness. So 
It's fun. Well, as as a baker, and speaking of important Sundays, do you know what? Yesterday, uh, as we're recording this past Sunday, uh, do you know what it's colloquially known as in terms of baking and uh, the Christmas tradition? I don't. It's stirrup Sunday. So the collect of the day in the Anglican Church used to be uh, start with stir up in our hearts, our Lord, something, 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 something. I can't remember all of it because that's you know, I don't memorize stuff like that. But the key was it started with stir up. They've actually moved that collect of the day to October, uh, which is not as ideal. But it was the Christ the King Sunday, which is the last Sunday before Advent. It's the last Sunday in the Christian calendar because Advent starts the new Christian calendar. But most importantly, it was the day that you would make your Christmas pudding. Oh. You'd make it, yeah, the Sunday before Advent started. And if you really wanted to be a good Anglican pudding maker, your pudding would always be made with 13 ingredients to represent Jesus and the 12 disciples. Wow. How about that? Yeah, is, that a tradition, right? is that a tradition you partake in? Well, I didn't this year. Oh. Um, yeah, because last year we made two puddings. I always, I normally make two puddings and uh, we have one at Christmas and then you have one at Easter because of course Christmas pudding, as long as you keep it wet with brandy, keeps basically indefinitely. And uh, somehow something happened and anyway, we didn't end up having it at Easter this year. So we've just been, you know, periodically moistening the Christmas pudding and uh, we're having last year's Christmas pudding this Christmas. And so this is like uh, the beer geek's dream. It is a, uh, a brandy aged uh, Christmas pudding, no barrel involved, but brandy aged. So that's what we're going to have. And I didn't stir up this past Sunday yesterday, but, uh, that is when you're meant to do it. It gives you a solid month to thoroughly saturate the pudding, uh, in spirits. So that's a good thing for us. I mean, obviously we got the kids, you know, Christmas is, uh, we try not to make it specifically about presents. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, but obviously that plays a big part. And Christmas morning, you know, kids are covered in wrapping paper and tinsel and stuff. And we're sipping <laughs> champagne and orange juice. And I normally make uh, a big old baked French toast, which is great. I don't know if uh, listeners you've ever done this or Mandy, you've ever done this. I do that too every year. That's my Christmas oh, morning so breakfast. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's you so prep good. it the night before. It yeah. soaks the whole night. So if you're listening at home. You basically take, I mean, you can take bread. We normally do like cupcakes and cinnamon rolls and you just slice them up and then put them in a roasting dish with, you know, your egg and, and cream mixture and then you bake it and uh, it becomes this cakey French toasty goodness. But the benefit is you prep it the night before, throw it in the fridge. First thing in the morning, you check it in the oven for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes at like 400 degrees. And you have this beautiful breakfast. It's taken no effort. It's very, very good. So that's part of our tradition. Um, also, speaking of the night before, this is one thing that I adhere to very strictly. Um, we're 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 good God-fearing Christians, so we hit up church Sunday or Sunday uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, beautiful service, of course. The kids they, they do the pageant; it's very adorable. And uh, we get home, and the kids are bursting, so they open a present, and then we put them to bed and uh, crack, like you say, some spirits. Probably uh, more often than not, uh, for me, it's a bottle of whiskey. And uh, every year, I think since we've been married, which is coming up just past, pardon me, 12 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, crazy. Uh, we watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve. And uh, <laughs> normally Eric at least falls asleep, and sometimes I do too. But that is one of our favorite family uh, traditions for the holidays. So 
So yeah, good times. I love it. It's We've my got... most favorite time of year. Could nothing could make me happier than Christmas time. Often when I talk about Christmas and think about it, I will actually this sounds so dorky, but I I cry because I get so happy just thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, and that's the, not a word of a lie. It also happens to be my birthday um, on Christmas. When's your Day. birthday? Christmas Day. You're a Christmas baby. I am. Yeah. I think we've talked about this. Yeah. I feel like any of that. Yeah. And oh, uh, wow. this year I'm expecting a. Uh, my new little nephew to arrive on December 28th or in and around there. So I'm hoping thought, for a, I'm hoping for a birthday twin. I actually knew, of course, that uh, your sister's expecting. And uh, but when you said I'm expecting and then hung it, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you can't do like that requires a little bit of podcast forewarning. <laughs> Just to be clear for, for future history, listeners, you can tune out for a minute. If you're going to drop baby announcements, I need a little bit of... No, no, I would totally. More, more notice. <laughs> no, I'm just as excited, though. Like, not my own, but um, it, it'll be special, a special year for us as a family. Oh, yeah. My uh, my second niece, uh, Aislin, was... Oh, I know she doesn't listen to this, so I don't have to worry too much. But I want to say like the 12th and the 14th of December. So Christmas baby. And it's just, yeah, you take a time that's wonderful, you know, so family centered already. And you just focus it in even tighter. It's a really nice thing. So that'll be exciting. Well, let's cut this. Let's get the heck out of Dodge. Uh, Come back in two weeks. Maybe something important will have happened in craft brewing. Could we talk more about Christmas in two weeks? Um, just a little bit. I'll find some good beer stuff to talk about. Yeah, we could do that. What's okay. what's the timeline? Today is the 23rd. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, let's do that. We, we won't. We'll talk more about Christmas stuff because I think we get one more episode before Christmas. Yeah. After that, I mean, um, but you might be otherwise occupied if you've got the, the new grommet pops out. And so we might have to hold it. Um, if not. The late December episode will be our Christmas extravaganza. I'll wear a Santa hat while I record it, as far as you know, and uh, we'll we'll make a big do of it. But yeah, let's talk more about Christmas and beer stuff, Christmas beer related stuff uh, next next time, two weeks from now. That'll be deal. good. OK, deal. I dig it. Uh, <laughs> you don't know this yet, Mandy, but hopefully I'll see you on Friday. That's a long story. And uh, everyone else. Have yourselves a good couple of weeks. Get your puddings made if you didn't get them made yesterday or two days ago if you're listening to this, I suppose. And uh, we'll talk to you in about two weeks. Thanks for listening.